Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's national science agency and innovation catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life. Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. We've got a special one today. We're talking to Doug Hilton, the very recently appointed Chief Executive of the National Science Agency, CSIRO. Welcome, Doug. Thanks, James. Great to be here. I should say uh, Dr. Hilton is an Australian molecular biologist. Sort of comes from a different background, I think, from your immediate predecessor. So you are immediate past director at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research in Melbourne. You also came from head of Department of Medical Biology at the Faculty of Medicine, Dentistry and Health Sciences at the University of Melbourne. So back to my point, very different background from that of uh, Dr. Marshall, who you replaced. So what are you bringing to the role? Look, I think I bring a passion for science and an absolute love for science, not just the sort of science you might associate with universities and medical research institutes, which for many of those organizations would be fundamental science, but also a really deep commitment to translating that beautiful research into something that's useful for the community. That's something that I've embraced since I was an undergraduate student, and I think it's possible to do both. So I hope that I bring to the wonderful CSIRO that passion. So you've been in the role a couple of months now? Uh, a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, okay. Thank you, pardon. I thought yeah. you were uh, starting at the beginning of July. No, we had a wonderful acting CE for three months from Larry's departure to my arrival right at the end of September. So Kirsten Rose, who was in the executive team, acted in the role and did a tremendous job. Okay. What does it look like from the inside two weeks in? It was exactly what I hoped it would be. You know, you hold your breath coming into a new role. And I'd met lots of people in my previous role who had worked at CSIRO. I'd collaborated with them. And to a person, they were passionate about the work they did and really committed to the organization. And that's what I found. So whether it's the exec team who I've got to know really well or staff that I've visited at Parks and Clayton and now Black Mountain, all of them are passionate. They're all willing to tell you what they're excited about, and that's what I hoped I'd find, and here I am. So right now, I think you're sitting at Black Mountain, the uh, CSIRO facilities up there. Where do you see yourself spending most of your time during your tenure? Are you upping stakes and moving to Canberra, or are you a roving commission? What does it look like? I haven't quite decided where I'm going to be ultimately based, certainly either Melbourne at the Clayton site or here in Black Mountain, and I'm taking a little bit of time to make that decision. There are pros and cons to both of those. But CSIRO has, I think, now 49 sites around the country, and I think if I'm really going to be a leader for the organisation, you need to get out and about and you need to meet people working in different areas, and CSIRO has a much wider range of science that it does than the organization that I worked at previously, and I, I want to hear about the science. I want to hear about people's experiences. I want to hear 
about how I can make it easier for them to do amazing things. So I've definitely got to be out and about. I think that's a really key part of the job. So either Melbourne or Canberra based, and then, as you say, a roving remit. Is that how you see yourself starting off this role? Or do you have some things that you want to come in and, and achieve immediately? Or you get out and about first? How do you, how do, you do it? I have some questions that I want to ask, but they're not questions that I'd ask specifically of Syrah. I think they're questions I'd ask of any organization that is trying to do research in the national interest. And for me, those questions are, you know, we're spending a lot of public money, which is fantastic. The Australian people have an enormous amount of trust in CSIRO. And I'm interested in how we can deliver optimally on that trust. So the sort of questions that I want to ask and absolutely will be listening for the answers are, you know, how do we create the environments where our people really flourish? You know, it's not easy doing wonderful science. If it was easy, there would be little to discover. So I want to be able to create environments and build on the great environments that we have that allow people to flourish both professionally and personally. I want to ask questions about are there ways that we are working that really engender collaboration? And are there barriers to how we work, both internally to collaborate and externally? So I'm interested in how we get synergy more than the sum of our people. You know, I'm interested in how we ensure we have the right resources, whether they're buildings that are fit for purpose or the equipment that we need or the funding that we need to help navigate the difficult challenges that confront us as a nation. I want to ensure people have time and in any big organization that people have time to do their jobs professionally, safely and creatively, I think is always a challenge. And the last thing that I'm, I'm really focused on is trust. I mean, we have to have a social license to operate. We have to be able to have conversations with the community that engender a trust in science. And I think if there's one thing that I'd love our nation to avoid, that is this polarization of this risk that a large segment of our community might be seeking alternative truths, you know, and going down rabbit holes of conspiracy theories. I think we'd not be well served as a nation if that was to happen. And I think organizations like CSIRO can play a role in engendering a trust in science, almost irrespective of people's policy responses to that science. So. You take over the organization at a particularly interesting time, I guess. Well, I mean, there is a lot going on in the world, as there always is, but lots of change geopolitical circumstances. There's uh, lots of investment from the federal government in things like the National Reconstruction Fund, and, and we understand there's perhaps more in the way of industry policy to come. So we're going to get to that, but just before we do, when your predecessor, Larry Marshall, started, he quite famously really gave the organization a nudge on commercialization and translation, this whole new thinking around those things. So I guess with programs like the ON programs, quite successful, this idea of building entrepreneurial thinking into the organization, how do you see yourself kind of engaging with that line of thinking? I absolutely support it. So, you know, commercialization is one crucial pathway by which the research and not just we do, but the, the whole research sector in Australia does, can impact the community. But there's lots of different ways research and science can impact the community. And I think our people are 
smart enough, passionate enough, and hardworking enough to be able to embrace all of those different impacts. So I want research that improves health. Sometimes that can be developed by a commercialization pathway. And I've embraced that, as I said, since I was an undergraduate. So, you know, I've spun companies out and I've collaborated very closely with biotechnology and biopharmaceutical companies. So I love that pathway when it's the right pathway for a particular development. But in an area like public health, it might not be the right pathway. So I've always seen commercialization as a means to getting an impact, not necessarily an end in itself. But having said that, you know, we also need to think about the impacts for the economy and the impacts for, you know, I guess the entrepreneurial culture of our country and our community. So Syro can absolutely play and should absolutely play a role in supporting SMEs to embrace research, stimulating entrepreneurship among our scientists and others in the community. And then we're required through bodies, through companies like Money Sequence Ventures, bringing together the capital that enables those ideas to get to the market. So, you know, I think we're a sophisticated place and you're right, you know, maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, when Larry started, it was important to give us a nudge. And I think one of Larry's enduring legacies will be that Syro is a much more entrepreneurial place than perhaps it was eight years before that. Can I move on to that kind of geostrategic stuff I mentioned earlier? When we look at uh, things like AUKUS or even, you know, the priority areas of the NRF, we see these areas of dual-use technology, quantum autonomous systems, robotics, artificial intelligence. These are all areas that the CSIRO, as the National Science Agency, has a specific interest. Now, defense has its own defense science and technology organizational. Absolutely. So where do you guys fit in? How do you plug in to the kind of commercial side of organizations that are pursuing those priority areas and make sure that they're kind of available on both sides of that divide? I think the collaboration with the other organizations that are playing a key role in defense has to be the way to go. So I'm not someone who likes institutions to be putting up walls. I think CSIRO has to be a foundation on which great collaboration can be built, whether that's with universities, whether that's with the defense research organizations, whether that's with commercial suppliers of defense industries. I think we have to be playing a part. And we already do. So there are a number of different programs we have within CSIRO that are absolutely focused on ensuring the security of our country. And you know we should be deploying that skill and that intellect really proudly in that important mission. So talk to me a little bit more about main sequence ventures. Where does that go now? That raised a huge amount of money compared to when they first started. So what does that look like under your regime? So I think fund one and two are capitalized and have made great investments. And it was really pleasing to see investors from Fund 1 come to Fund 2. I think that shows the model is a really robust model. They're in the middle of completing fundraising for Fund 3, which is really exciting. And I think the most impressive part of it are the companies into which those investments have been made. And there are some fantastic companies doing work in areas from fermentation to hydrogen, quantum computing startups, synthetic biology to allow us to better recycle plastic wastes, you know, a whole lot of different areas. And I think, again, that's Syro's special source. 
you know, we're not just an organization that focuses on health or focuses on the environment. We're able to bring people together with very different mindsets and very different skills. And that's what you need to do great science, whether that is in a research organization, a university or a startup. So the fact that we have people that think quite differently about problems, I think is a really important ingredient. It's the distinct edge that CSIRO has compared with a lot of other places. What are some of the obstacles or challenges that you can see will get in the way of your, you know, what you're trying to achieve? What are the challenges right there in front of you? It's interesting kind of reflecting over the last 30 years. So I spent two years as a postdoctoral fellow in Boston in the early 1990s at an institute attached to MIT. And what struck me in the kind of early 90s in Boston was that it was a hotbed of entrepreneurship. And it wasn't just senior people thinking about what companies they might start. It was students at MIT and postdocs, people putting their undergraduate degrees and their PhDs on hold in order to have a crack starting a company. And my sense was for a long time in Australia, there were a lot of top-down programs that were trying to stimulate entrepreneurship, but there wasn't necessarily a receptive community to make the most of those programs. What I've seen in the last three or four years, especially, is a groundswell of interest. So students, staff members, postdoctoral fellows, faculty, understanding that being an entrepreneur, starting companies, trying to push their ideas through to something practical themselves, that's exciting. There's lots of people wanting to do that. So my sense is for the first time, we have this bottom-up and top-down approach to stimulating entrepreneurship that's coming together. You know, I think Cyro can play a great part in that. And it's fertile field now. It's not trying to till barren ground. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? I mean, it was years ago suggested to me Australia has no burning platform, therefore people aren't driving in the same way that they're driving elsewhere. Israel is always the example they give. So I don't know that we've got a burning platform, but there's certainly some urgency, you know, that anyone can see. What do you put it down to? There is the interest in entrepreneurship, but there's also, what is it? Is it the ON program that has marched along, the top-down stuff? I think it's the on program. I think it is having capital available through groups like Main Sequence. You know, in the medical research space, the ability for brand and capital leverage money through the biotechnology translation fund. So it's an availability, certainly an availability of capital. But it's also, I think, about having now a greater number of people that have been successful, firstly, who failed, and then ultimately have been successful in running companies. So, you know, there's that knowledge and there's that know-how and those people are infectious in what they do. So for me, it's about younger researchers and entrepreneurs having role models, having permission, being able to see the possibilities. I think part of it's that. So I feel like it's this critical mass of more experienced people, a genuine desire among our younger staff and scientists to be considering the private sector and being more entrepreneurial and pushing their ideas forward combined with kind of more ready availability of capital. So I think those things are all coming together and it's exciting. All right, Dr. Doug Hilton, the new Chief Executive at the National Science Agency, CSIRO. I'm going to finish up on this question. Scientists are generally self-directed. They are passionate about their area of expertise and they would like you 
to my experience to give, give them some money so they can get on with whatever they're, they're getting on with. Obviously, we can't fund everything. We have to have priorities. So I know it's early in your tenure now, but what's exciting to you right now? Where do you think Australia should be placing its bets? I think that the areas of the national science policy and national reconstruction fund policies are a great framework for considering where the priorities need to be. The national science priorities encapsulate the great challenges that Australia faces, whether it is the challenge of climate change, where we've got to be working with industry to get to net zero, where we have this commitment through the Paris Agreement to real progress between now and 2030 and then 2050. So I think that's obviously pressing. There's huge challenges around the environment and biosecurity, bringing different areas of biology together around One Health. And again, CSIRO is really well equipped to do that. We have great research in the biomedical and health space. We have people that are doing amazing things in agriculture and food. We have some of the best environmental scientists in the country And we all know those things are linked together inexorably from a biological viewpoint, but also in the way they engender human flourishing. So I think there are some great areas there. We have this perennial challenge of wanting the major sectors of our economy to continually be more productive and more sustainable. So I think for an organization like CSIRO that receives a lot of public funding, we should be able to focus on all of the challenges, not alone, but in collaboration with other institutions, in collaboration with government, in collaboration with the private sector to allow us as a community to make progress on all fronts. Doug Hilton, thank you for joining us on the Commercial Disco. It's been great to talk to you and I look forward to meeting you in person. Indeed, James. Thanks so much for your time and your interest. for joining us on this episode of the Commercial Disco Podcast, proudly brought to you by CSIRO. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us. For the latest on tech, innovation and public policy, visit innovationoz.com and stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you an inspired week ahead.